Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. And we're going to get started now. Welcome to our panel, the uh, rise, fall, and thankfully rise again of the music press. A uh, deep dive into the impact and evolution of the music media. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to try and define the music press of the past, present, and future. Uh, from Rolling Stone to The Source, to, to uh, Melody Maker to Cream, uh, the music press has helped define music's meta-narratives from punk to hip-hop and beyond. Some might say that around the kind of mid-2000s, the music press will kind of lost its way. Well, our panel's going to prove today that it's alive and thriving. <laughs> uh, we're going to discuss some legacy titles that thankfully are with us and um, celebrate some we lost along the way. Um, and we're going to look back at some of the key moments that define the music press, which uh, could be the music blog or uh, perhaps looking to the future a bit more, global narratives and uh, podcasting and everything else that's happening right now. Uh, first, just want to say a big thanks to South By for being insane enough for letting us do this panel. Uh, and thanks to British Underground for co-hosting it with us. Now, some of you here might be thinking, well, this is a bit of a big swing to try and talk about the history of the music press in 45 minutes with uh, questions at the end. I think, is my, yeah. Hello, oh, there you go. Um, but luckily we have the brightest minds in music journalism today to help That's us out. Worrying. So, gonna introduce the panel. We've got Delisa Shannon here from uh, Houston, Texas. Resides in Brooklyn, New York. She uh, has a huge experience working in the digital music space. She's worked at Genius, Insider, BuzzFeed, helping launch the uh, careers of uh, Billie Eilish and Doja Cat with her coverage. Uh, and she's one of the most celebrated members of the Running Stone team as supervising producer of news. Uh, you'll find her doing interviews on the most glitzy of red carpets or uh, in-depth video pieces with uh, the best emerging artists in the world. Everybody, please welcome Delisa. Uh, Next, we have Mary Soroki, journalist, screenwriter, poet, based in Nashville, uh, proclaims that uh, she ensures that everyone around her knows more about the state of pop music than they ever wanted or needed, which is uh, very cool. She is uh, currently a contributing editor, Consequence, formerly known as Consequence Sound, uh, and, uh, which is a leading music publication in the digital space, uh, and she's a leading authority on music fandom, and uh, will talk us through her obsession with K-pop and uh, the evolution of the music blog, perhaps. Uh, last and not least, we've got Will Hodgkinson here, British author, celebrated music journalist, uh, based in London, written for The Guardian, Mojo, Vogue, New York Times, might have heard a few of those, uh, and currently the chief rock and pop critic at the Times of London. Uh, you've authored... Many amazing books, including Perfect Harmony, Sing Along Pop in Britain, Guitar Man, Song Man, uh, and have certainly seen the rise and fall and rise of some of the music press in the UK. And you've been known to say that uh, your best and most worst interview was with uh, Lou Reed, which uh, may or may not... Best and worst. That's what you said on your bio, but... <laughs> That's true, yeah. Great. Uh, Last and definitely least is me, uh, music publicist, music press obsessive. Ever since I picked up a copy of The Enemy about a million years ago, I've been obsessed with music press. Uh, I've built my career, my life around it, and you know I think it's one of the most noble of, of art forms aside from uh, music itself. And through my work, working with people like Bootsy and Yola and getting my start with The Stones, I've, I've seen how the music press can make or break a career. So um, yeah, thank you for having us all today. Right, well, let's get started, shall we? Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the publications that are no longer with us. They haven't lasted the test of time. Word, Melody Maker, Sounds, Hit Parade, Q, Smash Hits, Blender, Black Music, Crawl Daddy, or a few that are sadly in the graveyard of the music press. Well, what do you think were some of the most important ones for you personally, and you think in general that are no longer with us, and maybe talk about why you think they're not still here? Well, if some of the, I think the, well, I mean, the reason they're not here is obvious. It's because of the internet. You know, if you, if, if your source of information and, you know, when I was a kid growing up in the suburbs, the only place I could discover new bands would be the new musical express. Yeah. 
you know, which is still with us, but not in the form that it was. So it was this portal into another world. And that's definitely gone because that portal's not there. So I think there's, we'll come on to the various different ways that it's, you know, it's, it's working now. But it was so exciting, you know, to get to be a teenager and get enemy or, I mean, smash hits also was a British phenomenon, very irreverent. It was um, it basically kind of took the piss out of pop stars while liking them, which I've always thought that music journalism should be able to do. I think you, sh- you shouldn't be too reverent. You know, you should be able to, you know, fight your own corner. And it was brilliant, Smash It. It's really, really funny. So that went. Um, yeah, so I think uh, Cream magazine was fantastic. I mean, I didn't r- read it when I was a kid because I was growing up in Britain, but I read about it, heard about it. And it just sounded so exciting, you know, to hear about someone like Lester Bangs, you know, this legendary figure who go head-to-head with Lou Reed, yeah. you know, and come out with this brilliant prose, which I think took on its own form of creativity. You know, it's not just there to inform and it's not just there to say, isn't this great? It's there to express a voice as well Um, and be, you know, great writing. And that hasn't gone away, but I think that that was, there was a, there's a very specific space for that, which is obviously pre-internet. So digital revolution comes along, changes everything, um, dissipates everything, but it doesn't mean that it goes away. It just has to take new forms. So I think, yeah, I mean, one of my favourites. There was a magazine called The Word, which was really fun. Um, and, and they, I mean, this is a great example of why, you know, why, you know the, the way in which magazines can fall into trouble. So they had this idea of um, 50 quid bloke, 50 quid woman. And this was someone who on a Friday night would go to HMV or, you know, Tower Records and they'd spend 50 pounds, you know, 50 dollars. And so, you know, they'd buy a CD and they'd buy, you know, a record and maybe something else and, you know, maybe a DVD or spot the problem in that, you know. Um, So you could see how that model was completely tied in with the physical music world. Um, So, yeah, it's there's there's definitely this there was definitely a golden age. Um, It also I felt that in its purest form, music journalism and this is, you know, I'm including myself in this, for people who are essentially unemployable in other forms, you know, and they were kind of sort of dysfunctional members of society who, you know, pour their madness into you know, being a fan. Do you think uh, uh, people could get away with some of the stuff from the 70s now? Well, a lot of it was, so there's, there's in the way that a lot, some of it you couldn't, but then there's also, you know, often great irreverence and great writing. Yeah. So... It's kind of it's like everything, isn't it? You know, times change, but it was also more narrow. You know, it was more male. Certainly. It was more white blokes. You know, so there's there's a million ways in which it's improved. Um, so yeah, it's. I think what I think that golden age, if if you know if that's what it was, was golden age for some people. You know, it was yeah. kind of it was it was it was. It's it's easy to look back on it. As a, you know, but I think, but some basically some really great writing came out of it, and that's that's the main thing I think. Great, Delisa. Are there are there any titles that have adapted to the point that they're no longer what they were, or or ones that have just disappeared that you you connected to in your youth? Um, well, if we're talking about ones that have disappeared, I mean, for for me, I think about the ones that are that are still here. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm very. I'm very honored to work at a place like Rolling Stone, you know, like even today I was in my Uber and this guy was like, oh yeah, South by, like, what are you here for? And I was like, tell him about the panel. I was like, you should come back. Um, but he was like, oh, where do you work? And I was like, Rolling Stone. And he was like, wow, Rolling Stone. Like Rolling Stone for so many people was that portal, um, especially, you know, you're talking about in the suburbs. It's like, that's the way that they knew where where music was, was where it's been and where it's heading. Yeah. And I think that's the most exciting part about this what this kind of golden age is it was that opportunity to give someone in a suburb in California you know like my mom's best friend who got to see so many parts of the world um, through writing that that vehicle to connect people from all over the world um, and, and band them together around music that yeah. they really fucking love you know and like that's that's the good stuff for me, and I think what you're kind of talking about um, it was great for white dudes. It was so great for white dudes. Yep. Um, love the rock, yeah. But like, I th- 
you know. Um, but it's been exciting to see that that window open. Um, it's been exciting to see women get in there. It's been exciting to see black women, black men. Um, we have the opportunity to look at hip hop in the same type of irreverence that you're talking about that was that golden age in um, it's not narrow anymore, it's so wide, it's so vast. And I think that's why we're here talking about it, is because it's had the opportunity to expand and grow beyond um, rock and blues and the erasure of so many genres, um, so many hit makers, so many taste makers. Um, it's gotten that chance and that opportunity to, to highlight more voices. Yeah, do you feel like that's maybe why Rolling Stone is had such continued success because it's adapted in those ways. Yeah, I mean, not to be biased, I mean, obviously I work there, but um, <laughs> I think, like, what's been exciting for me is, you know, there's Britney Spanos is our pop writer and yeah. the top of the top, you know what I mean? Um, we have so many, so many beautiful writers. We've got Monica Perconte. I could literally go on for days. I won't, but I could. <laughs> Um, of the women and people of color that are getting the opportunity to showcase the, the music that they love um, and why they love it. And I think that's that's where Rolling Stone has really excelled. Um, it's been nice to see Afrobeats get, get the kind of same treatment that we gave rock in 1982, you know? Yeah. Um, it's been exciting to see K-pop, you know, grace the cover. Not once, not twice, but, you know, so many different times and we're expanding. We were just talking earlier about, like, RM from BTS and Pharrell in a conversation. That's something that I don't think that I would have thought in the 2000s I'd see on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think Rolling Stone has expanded the way it, it's, you know, there's space for everyone, but they're making more space for people that look like me. And um, I think a lot of people who are still around are doing that, and I'm very, I'm very thankful. Um, it's exciting to see some of that sharp writing being being applied to so many different genres. Um, even if you don't know the genre, you can respect the writing and you res you respect the take, um, and you know that it's nuanced and you know that it's studied. Um, and and that's just the beautiful thing about where we're heading right now. That's the beautiful thing about where Rolling Stone is, um, and and how it's kind of continuing. And, and publication, legacy publications like it, um, are really trying to, yeah, just make keep widening it, inch by inch, genre by genre, country by country, state by state, um, to really include more voices because that's how you stay relevant. Right? Yeah, um, and I think I've, we've spoken before about vibe being sort of important to you as a title um obviously that's adapted but but it's still existing as, as a web platform and everything do you what do you do you think the ways that that has kind of developed have you seen that kind of arc are they are they still as relevant as they were do you think or i mean i i was just with um i was just with a vibe writer and he was telling me the story how he was eight and he was like i'm gonna work for vibe and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be that guy that i looked up to that i cut you know, these articles out and put them on my wall and these covers and he collects all of the old ones that he used to read when he was eight years old. And 20 years later, he's sitting there and he's a part of the community of journalists who are shaping how we talk about R&B, how we talk about hip hop, Afro beats, um, how we talk about Afro-Caribbean music, Indo-Caribbean music. Um, yeah, that's, that's so important that we have those legacy publications like that to continue to, to strive for that pinnacle, for that peak, you know? Like, Vibe was the shit. Like, when I got it, I was like, Mom, Dad, don't touch it. I have things that I need to do. And I'll give it back to you later. Um, you can put it in the stack. Once I've gotten everything that I need out of it, I'm going straight to the back. I'm going to see who's listening to what and, and how I can what I can take to like tell my friends when I go to school, like I know it's, I know something that you don't know because I have the Vibe magazine and your parents don't have it. Um, and so it's a flex, like you wanna be able to get that opportunity to learn about your favorite artists. And, yeah. and Vibe was that was that for me, for sure. Wow. Uh, Mary, with, when you were sort of um, being embraced or embracing the, the kind of music press, were, were there titles that kind of you were drawn to earlier yeah, in your career? Um, so I am like a Twitter native. I jumped on Twitter 
think I was in middle school maybe, uh, like when it first started. And when I really started getting into, I'd always loved film. I did a lot of acting uh, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. And when I really started to get into things from the writing side, I had writers that I really connected with. And that led me to places like The Cut and New York Mag um, and Variety, since I love film so much. And so I would find writers like Hunter Harris, who I think is quite literally a genius. Oh, yeah. And um, it just it kind of blew my mind open because I was thinking about how I've always loved to write and we were talking about this before as well that I'm a fan's fan like I love when people love things that is my most favorite thing in the world and so for people who are able to capture what makes an act so special or what could really um, find a way into someone's heart that's the kind of writing that I love to consume and I think that that shaped me a lot as a writer as well Wow um, Okay so the, let's maybe talk about a little bit more present now. Um, so music magazines over the years have been given quite a lot of credit for sort of shaping the uh, the, the meta-narrative or even genres themselves, you know, like Enemy and Punk, The Face and New Romantics, um, Pitchfork and Indie Bands, The Source and, and Hip Hop. Uh, are, are media still shaping the meta-narrative, the sort of overarching story of music, in, and particularly with genre, in the way that they were? Or are, or uh, or do you think we're kind of in a slight trend-following situation now, where things are blowing up on social media, things are kind of uh, blowing up on uh, on streaming, and that's kind of what's kind of getting to a point where um, a music magazine's like, yes, that this is the right time for this artist, um, or or are we still in a music discovery mode where you guys are just kind of finding the the new acts and and still therefore driving the the uh, narratives that are important and the genres that are important in the music space. Um, Mary, did, would you like to start on that? Yeah, and I would love to hear what you guys think, but I think when it's at its best, it's somewhere in the middle. I love when we kind of have our finger on the pulse of an artist who is on the rise, uh, but we're not necessarily catering to a huge social media following because we've had opportunities to do things with TikTok stars and not to negate the people whose music can come from social media, but... Um, there's that balance of uh, someone who's on the rise that we get to spotlight and that right place, right time feeling is so special when it works out. So ideally, I think it's somewhere in the middle and I really like being attuned to what people think is going to be the next big thing. I think that's half the fun. Awesome. Uh, Delisa, do you do you feel like music media is still kind of shaping that kind of kingmaker space in the same way that, that they were? Or you know, What's your take on that? Oh, Lord, that's hard. That's so hard, right? Because social media um, is, I mean, you could think that you're the only person who knows about this thing, right? You're yeah. like, I know this. Like, this is like, I'm going to put you on. Everybody wants to, like, put someone on. That's like, it's almost like a competition. But it's not, it's like not realistic to think that you're the first person in someone's underground. Where they're under, underground, almost like doesn't I don't know if it exists anymore. I don't know if it's realistic to think that you can find someone right before they pop and before they're bubbling because somebody has already attached themselves and like are really in, in, in invested into their story, right? Like Billie Eilish, for example, was huge Doja Cat. I remember like we were so excited about Moo at Genius when I worked there. We we're like, oh my God, this yes. is, you yeah. know? And then you look and it's like, okay, but her debut project has this million streams and she already has a huge fan base. And it's like, how, how could we say that we discovered or we broke them because mm -hmm. they already have a very, very true and, and real fan base already. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we're shaping, I don't know if we're, I don't know if media or in our, like what we do, um, I think we're just kind of to what you talk about with being um, a fan's fan. It's like we're looking for who has those fans that are excited about them. That's how I know that it's like, oh, no, this is something serious. If you can be small but still have all of your fans, you know, be – if you can have a fandom before you're popping, like, that's it. And most artists that I think are – in this space already have fans. I mean, that's how, like, you know, 
a lot of people are getting to the places that they are is because they have so many people behind them already. Yeah. So it's, it's I don't know. It, it, it is that sweet spot that you're talking about. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's realistic to say because social media has just blown it up in a way that, um, yeah, it's not like it's Whitney Houston and Clive is like presenting her to the world. Like, look at this beautiful pop princess. It's like, it's not happening in that way anymore. Um, and well, not to date you, of course, but you, you've perhaps seen some of this arc a little bit, uh, as have I. And yeah, how, where do you see the kind of role in media these days in terms of its, its influence? You know, is it still... It's pretty, well, first of all, I work for a newspaper, which is, I guess, that's, you know, it's a slightly different thing because you're within the context of everything else that the newspaper does. But it's, it's hard for me to say because it's kind of not how I think about things. I mean, to be honest with you, what, the way I generally feel is that I come across someone and sometimes there's something about them which I find very exciting and then they, there's a great story attached and sometimes you interview them and they, they're just fascinating, you know, and what the bottom line for me is it's always about the person behind it, you know, it's not just about the music they're making. So I can't say I've ever done a... I mean, I, I think I've been asked to do interviews with people because they're exploding. But, you know, it's not really how I look at it. Yeah. It's generally... There's, you know, it's generally when I've some trying to. I mean, obviously, you know, you're covering things all the time, but you know, it's, it's the this. What I think what you're talking about is the sweet spot, is when you see someone, you just think there's something about them which is really interesting. Some band, some artist, whatever. And then you're not going to if that's if that's you, you're probably not going to be the only person. Yeah. You know, um, there's a band called Black Midi who came out of England a couple of years ago. They were so young. I saw them. Okay, this is my this is my little flex. I saw them. There were fifteen people there, and you knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Now they're not going to be a household name ever because they're doing weird math rock, but they're a brilliant, brilliant band. And I did an interview with them, and the interview was terrible because they were nineteen-year-olds, and they and you know I was like their dad, and so they was like asking questions like, "Are we going to be in trouble?" You know, it's like that. But they were absolutely fantastic, and they've just, they've gone on to do all these brilliant things. So. I think, the, it, it, yeah, for, for me, the bottom line, it, it, it doesn't work, actually, when I kind of fake it. Yeah. You know, some interviews I do with someone... And often the problem is you often get the worst interview with someone when they've got all the attention on them hmm. because they're doing lots of others, you know. So, you know... It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's very often the best moment is if it's before or maybe later when they've had time to reflect and they've experienced life. Um, so, yeah, I can't say... It's, but it's different because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still working the somewhere between the print world and the digital world. Um, so yeah, it's generally if it's the story that I'm always after. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's uh, another great step we've taken forward, where you know things are less polemic and you know there's less agendered kind of. Uh, coverage you know where the enemy sort of had a very rigid view of what the enemy was and every band had to fit within that you know uh, and well, it sounds you know, like that's not well, the case people anymore. can surprise you the point is you never know what someone's going to say in an interview you never know what they're going to be like you can have you can have uh, expectations i mean you mentioned lou reed you know i mean i should have known better he had a <laughs> reputation but you know i went in there like, thinking well i know everything about lou reed i'm the world's biggest velvet underground fan well of course you know you fucking asshole you know <laughs> it's like, like so but you just don't know. And, and I think what you're talking about is really important, that when you expand your vision and when you don't necessarily think about the things that you associate with yourself or, you know, you might find some incredible stories. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the best things that's happened in music journalism, the fact that we're, it's now, you know, you're looking at a much broader reach, which isn't just music, it's about life, obviously. One uh, one thing that that has continued, which I personally quite like, even though if uh, one of my artists is on the receiving end of it, I don't, is a a bad album review. It's very entertaining. You read it, you know, you get, look at Pitchfork, you see the stars or points, and there's you know two or something, and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Um, so, w what do you all think about harsh uh, or very critical album reviews? Do they do they serve a purpose? Um, or, or they just mere entertainment. Mary, what, what are your thoughts on these? Well, I'm notoriously a softie, but I think part of that is because 
the I think album reviews and their purpose has changed so much because it used to be I felt like our job as as critics was to say is this album worth going out and spending $15 on and that's not a question for people anymore they can stream it they're going to listen to it either way and so my mindset is that my job as a writer and as a critic is to contextualize and to offer someone a different perspective on someone's work and my people can enjoy what they I'm not going to tell someone if they should enjoy something or not that's not my job my job is to write something that maybe challenges what someone thinks or opens up curiosity um, we don't do letter grades on our website anymore because I feel like that's less of the point. People will open it and fans will say, hey, and then they'll bounce. And so we want people to actually read the analysis, which is allegedly what we're there for. <laughs> so I've only ever given one bad review and it wasn't even that bad and it was Ted Sheeran and I should have been meaner. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said so many mean things about Ed Sheeran that I ran out of mean things to say and gave him a good review because I couldn't think of anything else really mean to say. He won. He won, basically. I lost. Longevity. I mean, he keeps going with the math equation, so I feel like we're on to Y equals M squared plus B. If we keep <laughs> X, that wasn't correct. I'm, uh, I think just, that's I'm slow. really good at math. Y equals <laughs> MX plus B. Um, that is slow. Oh, cool. Okay. Delisa, are you a fan of the bad album review? I noticed Rolling Stone have, have taken their, their grading system off. Yes. Um, um, no longer grading system. Um, I it's I don't. I'm a softie as well. I love a glowing review. I'm, oh, that's, mm, that's my favorite. But I, I, I love when I can tell that the person who's reviewing it knows what they're talking about. I think, and that's what we're doing now, to your point. Like, it's... It's not about like this music or don't like this music. It's it's providing a different angle into an artist that you may may not know, may may have been may have been a fan for a really long time. I was researching um, Janet Jackson recently, and there's a Rolling Stone writer um, who wrote a really bad review, a really bad review of Janet Jackson's debut album, which is like, I mean, what? Like that's a wild thing to do. Well, um, and I wonder if if he even remembers it. Because I think at that time it was just like, it, it wasn't about the person being invested in this artist um, and, and being able to provide context, be able to provide a nuanced um, uh, point of view. And I think now when we have these artists who are pouring so much into their work and we have writers like the ones that are up here who, um, can, we can tell, like, really engage with the genre and really engage with the artist. That's when you get the good stuff, when you can tell that they know what they're talking about and the lineage of pop music, the, the lineage of rock, and the lineage of R&B, and the lineage of hip-hop, um, and also can give that outside perspective of, oh, well, when they did this, it kind of reminds me of, like, the the choral progression of this and the that. And, the, and you know, and, you're, and it's like we're looking at a kind of, like, kaleidoscope of how we're approaching and how we're listening to music. So I'm always going to love a nuanced album review. Yeah. It can be bad, I guess. I hate those. But as long as it's nuanced, I'm good. If you if it just seems like you're a hater, boo, tomato. Like I don't like haters. But I like if you don't like it in the context of what that artist is and maybe if you want them to be... Uh, like make, we know you can do better. Yeah, take yeah. take bigger yeah. risks. Like do something different. Constructive like, criticism. Yeah, 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 give me that. Um, but if you're just a hater, I mean, I'm going to... You know, some. I'm gonna cases. hate privately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and if you're gonna hate, stand on it. Like, stand on a ten toes down, right? Um, well, why do you think there's been the shift um, with album reviews, and, and also it feels like there's there's less space for album reviews in, in music magazines, or you know, obviously Mojo and things that they, they have huge sways to it. But Rolling Stone, it was two pages now, probably I think, in the magazine maybe, and it's, but certainly it it, it doesn't feel like the main emphasis of, of the kind of music media anymore. Do have you recognised that shift, and do you think it's do you think there's a reason for it? I mean, it doesn't. My, it, I, if, on my own beat, it hasn't changed much. You know, I still do each. I do about four or five albums for every. You know, for the paper on Friday, so it hasn't changed that much. I mean, I'm in a degree of disagreement with both of you because I think that our bad album reviews, if they're well written, if they're thoughtful, can be good. Because they're only creating opinion and they're only creating thought. Mm -hmm. And I think that if everything is agree in agreement, it's not real. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's not how life is. So I think I, I completely agree with you that it's, it should be, you know, it should be 
thought thought out, nuanced, and you know. But if you make your argument well, then basically all you're doing is debating, you know. Um, so, and I kind of think I don't think it's very fair to give. I don't see the point in giving bad reviews to somebody who's completely new, uh, who the the reader has not heard of. But I'm thinking that you know, for me. I'm always thinking that I'm writing for the reader. I'm definitely not writing for the artist. I'm, de I'm not writing for the fans. You know, I'm writing for the reader. Um, so that's, that's kind of the bottom line. So I'm, I, and I'm thinking, well, they need to be able to trust me. And, you know, but I think, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think reviews still, have still very much got a place. That's great. Um, but but I, al I also think you should not be afraid. I think, as you say, get behind it. You shouldn't be afraid of of worrying what you people say to you on Twitter, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? You know, I've had plenty... If you if you review some pop person, you're going to get a lot of... You know, Have you had of course. backlash? Oh, my God. All the time. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, you know... I mean, the best one I ever got... I, I, let me remember this. It was for a Lana Del Rey review. And, oh, I gave wow. it, and it was... Lana. Yeah, Lana. She does. And I wonder what if she actually... Come? I think she might have written it. I don't know. She... <laughs> I've got no... I could, you know... I can't... Don't, don't quote me on that. Probably get sued. But um, it was... It began... Um, yeah, I respect your opinion as a stupid, ugly music journalist who nobody's ever heard of. But you're a complete idiot. Lana Del Rey is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity. And you suck! And it kind of went on like this. My most favourite hate tweet I ever got, I did a Taylor Swift album ranking, and someone said, this is what happens when you let unhappy single people rank albums. Ooh. I was like, I'm very happy, thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're talking about bad reviews, the real bad reviews come, come from social media, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, the, re the really severe ones. So that's where I think it's changed, because you can't engage in that playground fight because that's out there on the internet. I think if you're going to be a music journalist, then yes, you've got to write with context. Yeah. And I think also, what is, what is a critic doing? Well, you should be judging something on its own terms. So there's your taste, obviously, that, must, that comes into it hugely, and there's your opinion. But there's also, did it work in what it's trying to do? You know, I mean, I remember one of the, I, gave, I remember giving a one star, it's so bad. It was uh, this project years ago called Super Heavy. It was a terrible idea. It was Mick oh, Jagger. I think I'm um, <laughs> uh, Mick Jagger, Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, yeah. Joss Stone, who was about 15 at the time. Yeah. And they're about, you know, 60. And a bit of a Frankenstein band. Yeah, combo. and it was just, it was, you could see the ego and you could see that, that everything was wrong about every single aspect of it. And the music was absolutely awful. And in that situation, I felt, well, that's, you know, I can, I can see exactly why this hasn't worked. Yeah, and it was in the public interest, perhaps, to, uh, to point out. But the, the point is that everything, I think it's always, you're writing for the reader. That's the bottom line for me. Yeah. You know. um, okay, so let's, let's talk about another kind of defining element of the music press, uh, the music blog. Around the 2000s, lots of people kind of started giving away MP3s online. LimeWire became my source of uh, music finding. Uh, and these have grown in... Uh, in incredible ways, you know, like from bedroom to boardroom, really. You know, Pitchfork is owned by Condonass. Is you know they've become uh, Consequence Sound, of course, as well. You know that um, would have perhaps been considered a music blog, and now as a website publication brand. You know, um, what what do you think some of the key kind of moments in this evolution have been? You know, and 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 how has it affected the music press? You know, why uh, outside of it, I guess. Mary? I think in the case of Consequence, being digital natives was a huge asset for us and kind of being founded by people who were raised on the internet and speak that language allowed them to really leverage themselves as leaders in the space. And um, I kind of got their right place, right time, like indie and rock and white boys were their bread and butter for a very long time. And I arrived at the point um, where we were ready to shake it up. So it was, I just got lucky. Uh, Delisa, do you... Were there particular blogs that you were into and excited about um, that are no longer kind of, you know, of excitement to the world? Well, I think it's honestly for me, it was like Tumblr was, was my yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. You know, MySpace and Tumblr were huge because, you know, if just being real, music journalism was really white. And if I wanted to learn about the music that I listened to, I couldn't guarantee that I was going to get it in one of these publications that was in print. It just 
I think the reason why the blog era was so important is because people wanted to see their favorite genre with the same kind of nuance. And obviously the internet was really growing at that time, um, so it's not as the same kind of caliber as you're gonna get from like a Rolling Stone or an NME. Um, but it definitely, there was a need, and that's what the blog era serviced. It, it serviced the fact that I wanted to know about R&B and hip-hop in, in an intimate way, and not just those flash-in-the-pan moments that everyone's talking about. I want to talk about Frank Ocean before he's Frank Ocean. Like, I want to be able to sit amongst peers, which is what the blog era really did. Mm. Um, there wasn't a kind of, like, hierarchy and structure. It was it felt like we were all in the same playing field. Um, And there was an accessibility aspect to it. Um, I could start a blog when I was 14 if I wanted to. Um, It would have been horrible. (laughs) It would have just been like, I love Justin Bieber, heart, heart, heart. Um, And I mean, it would be great prose, but it would not have been one of the ones that that are lauded and we look to to today. Um, And I do do think that, um, yeah, it was... the blog era was built out of necessity. Um, it was built for, you know, like when I think of the blog era, I just think of like two dope boys and I think of all the, like the dat piffs and like the ways in which I could find like Wiz Khalifa and currency and in these ways um, before they were Wiz Khalifa and currency. Um, so it's, it, it's exciting. Like there's just such like this, like nostalgia, um, and there's this hunger to be seen that the blog era um, really showcased. That um, I think of, and I know a lot of a lot of my friends really grew up on it um, and got to see themselves for the first time. Uh, and yeah, I think there's a purity there's a purity in the blog era that I, I really miss. And I think that where we are now is like trying to kind of chase that. That, that same feeling. We're all trying to feel that. And I think a lot of us are are in that way. I mean, you, you know, I'm sure you'll talk about this in a little bit, but we were talking earlier and you have a K-pop column. And that kind of gives me that same kind of feeling of a blog where someone can come to you and be like, okay, well, what is she going to say about this? Like, does she know about this person? And has she listened to this? And did she hear that same song? And you want to feel connected to a peer. And I think that's what the blog era really did. And that's why I think it was as magnetic as it as it was and i think we're all we'd love to go back yeah yeah um i think another sort of similar evolution which has been so amazing and and perhaps stems similarly from from what you're talking about which is this kind of desire for for nuanced and in-depth narrative is, is podcasts you know they've hugely evolved um exploded over the kind of pandemic era you know the spotify's spent an absolute war chest of money on uh, developing podcasts, well, do you is this kind of on your radar? Are you a fan of music podcasts? Do you do you see their value in the same way as a as a a great? Uh, I really see their value, the and what I really like is, excuse me, I think the big the what I've always felt that journal, journalism has suffered from is decreased in attention spans, and then along comes podcasts, and someone is very happy happy to. You know, hear a two and a half hour conversation on I don't know the history of ladders or something. You know, I mean, you think, wow, there's there's actually is a need for that, and of course it's quite meditative. You know, to listen to something, turn your mind. It's like reading. You know, and and we need that. So I think, yeah, I am a fan. I mean, I haven't had I, I, I mean, okay, one example, and you know, I think this is this is the way in which it's something which you couldn't do in journalism. You might be able to do in a book, but it'd be very hard to do in any other form. So, did you ever have now? That's what I call music. Mm-hmm. Do they happen here? Yeah. yeah, they did. Okay. I think we're on volume fifty-seven. Fifty-seven? No, I think it's more like one hundred and fifty-seven, isn't it? I think it's over. Yeah, it's it's so anyway. So now that everyone in Britain knew. Now that's what I call music. Every kid growing up in the 80s and 90s knew it. You know, it was, it was you know. Anyway, so there's a, a, a podcast to this guy, and he does, he gets a guest, and you choose the one that you remember. And you're going through, you know. And it's such a nice idea, because you hear all this stuff, and of course, most of it at the time you hated, but now you've got a certain nostalgia for it, you know. Um, and it shoots off all these different stories. 
personal stories, but also, you know, which you couldn't really do in, in music journalism in the same way. But also, you know, recollections of how important some song was and everything. So that's a great idea. I think that was, that was something. It's like where the podcast, the form of the podcast is integral to the subject, you know, then that you know when the subject lends itself to the podcast as opposed to any other form, that's when they really come alive. So yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think it's it's um, it's a different approach, and it's and the idea that you can go deep into something is you know because that's my frustration. You know, I mean, that's just the nature of journalism. You know, you work incredibly hard on something, and then it's on to, you know it's on to the next thing. You know, if not that day, then you know that afternoon. Yeah. And so to actually spend you know. It's like doing a book, isn't it? It's so much more satisfying. So, yeah, I think podcasts are great for that reason. Um, okay. So I think we should get our crystal balls out now and uh, start thinking about the future. Where's this all going now? Um, music magazines, are they getting better at exploring global music narratives? Something that we've all kind of talked about today is uh, definitely not being the case at the start and perhaps up until fairly recently uh, Delisa, what are your thoughts here? Do, do you feel like, uh, particularly in the US, is it still too US and Eurocentric in focus, or do you feel like it's it's expanded? Um, that's interesting. I mean, I think it's too. I, I don't. I don't know how to answer that accurately because um, all I all I know is that we're making a concerted effort to not. Do, to not only talk about pop music, um, we're not talking about you know the same things that we were talking about ten years ago and twenty years ago. Um, you know the fact that we you know Rolling Stone has a showcase and it's not it's not just white artists on the bill. You know um, that's something that I don't know would have happened twenty years ago. So is it? I, I just I don't think it's U.S. focused because music is more global than it ever has been. Um, the ways in which music is being crafted, the ways in which we're borrowing from genres, I think it's genreless. Um, so, and I think, like I just think about one of our writers, Monkaper, who has so focused a lot of her work on bringing Afrobeats to the main stage, and it is because. They don't care about us. They don't care about what we're doing over here. Like, you know, Burna Boy and Wizkid and Tim's, they are massive in their own right, and it does not matter what we think about it. But I'm happy that for our, you know, African American and, you know, people who are, you know, in the diaspora so that they can see themselves on the stage, I think that's what's important. Um, so I think we're, I definitely think we're getting better in that regard of being able to show reggaeton in the fervor in which it, it, it needs to be, uh, you know, spoken about. The fact that it can hit, you know, Bad, Bad Bunny can hit like 1.6 billion streams and um, have an insane tour, like an insane tour. Um, and we're covering it in the same way that we would some of the artists that we've covered 30 years ago. I think that's what's most important. So I think we're getting better. I don't know if we're still too US focused. Um, it's hard to say, because I'm not, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Um, I'm looking to highlight, you know, Nigerian pop artists that aren't just the Tims, aren't just the Wiz Kids, that aren't just the Burna Boys. and looking to always widen my view. So I'll speak for myself and say I'm not US focused. Um, and I think a lot of people who are in these positions at these publications um, would agree would agree with that. Great. Uh, Mary, you're a huge K-pop fan. Yeah. Um, could you talk about some of the ways you sort of discovered that as a genre and, and how do you feel, I suppose, in the grand scheme of the music press, you know, is it being embraced in the same way you're, you're embracing Definitely, it? Definitely, yeah. Well, I was going to echo something that Delisa said, which is I think the reason that a lot of people connect with uh, my coverage and writers like me is that I write about K-pop with the same uh, seriousness that I write about any other genre. I write about it with nuance and um, I'm curious and I want to understand where these artists are coming from. And just because they're environment is slightly different from ours, I don't think that that means that we should negate 
the, the creative work that they're doing. And so I feel like that has helped um, me personally just kind of get to where I got at Consequence. But um, I got into it in 2019, BTS, obviously. Um, they performed on SNL. I was out in Nashville that night. I live in Nashville. I was out on Broadway. I came home, had a few drinks. I turned on SNL because Emma Stone is hosting, and they performed. And I was like, did I have 15 drinks, or is this the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life? And I woke up, and I watched the performance like three different times. I was in an acting program. I kicked the door, and I was like, why did no one tell me about this? Everyone was like, what are you talking about? Because I was already behind. They were already enormous. And um, that just expanded my world. Um, I absolutely fell in love with their story, that they were a true rags to riches group, that they write their own music, and that they have um, the slick performances and all of the other stuff that goes with it. So that kind of curiosity um, allowed me to learn about the genre and opened up just, it gave me a whole new appreciation for non-English music. I was able to fall back in love with sonic listening. I was a classical piano player growing up and I feel like I'm able to listen to music in a different way again, where I listen to it and I listen to the structure and I listen to the production. And then I get this whole second listening journey when I look up the lyrics. And so I am so grateful to be in a space where I'm someone who loves things and I get to share that with people. Um, and I'm just very lucky to be one of those people who gets to do that. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, are we approaching a more realized era of uh, equality in music journalism? I hope so. Delisa? <laughs> I did like a really dramatic. It's like, yeah, it's I hope so, right? I, I, we can only hope that we can continue to democratize music journalism and continue to find new voices to uplift um, and, and, and to give the platform. I think that's. If that's not, if you're in, um, if you're a music journalist and that's not your goal, it's like, what are you doing? Um, so I can only hope that's what we're doing. And we also have to be honest about music is shifting. Like music is, I, it's like, I don't even know what the genre is that's popular right now. Like popular music isn't pop. It's inspired in so many different ways. It's inspired by K-pop, it's inspired by reggaeton, it's inspired by hip hop, it's inspired by the world. So if we're not taking a step towards that, we're falling behind. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that to go to the name of this whole panel, that was kind of the fall, right? It was trying to hold on to the, a very white-centric, US-centric view of what was important to talk about when we talk about music. You can't do that anymore. If you're still talking about the same stuff, like, I am so sorry, but like, you're got, you gotta go. <laughs> If you want to keep up, if you want to service your community, if you want to talk about music, you can't talk about the things that we talked about before. We, we do have to evolve and we do have to take steps forward. I think we are. Um, I'm happy to be around people and surrounded by music journalists who are doing the same thing in their coverage, um, doing the same thing in their communities. Um, so I can only hope so. Uh, I don't, I don't think we'd be having this conversation if we weren't taking that step. Because Absolutely. I think the music press would just have faded into obscurity if we didn't grow with it. Wow. Okay. So perhaps let's finish with uh, a little sensational question. Uh, are we approaching an era of music magazine tabloidism? The, riot, the, the focus on news is very high. Uh, the the news cycle, the 24-hour cycle of, of just new music is is just exhausting, as I'm sure we all feel working in it. Um, do have you noticed any ways that that's kind of affecting things? Is there is there still the desire to catch the scoop, to be first to the story? Uh, are are, the, are is there good regulations still in in the music press? I mean, when I uh, was working in PR. Um, still are, uh, in England, uh, working with the Stones, I mean, you know, my boss's phone was hacked. And, and you know, that was the, the era that I grew up in, and very unscrupulous. And I feel like, I know, as soon as I moved here, that, that didn't seem to exist anymore. So I think that speaks a lot about, obviously not you, Will, but the uh, less scrupulous British music press. Um, 
That wasn't music press. No, that, that was, was, that, the was song, that was the press. Yeah, yeah that's a very right. different thing. That was actually tabloid. You know, that was that was the sound, the news of the world was the famous one there. But they yeah. weren't. But I think that's to, to call them music press is wrong. No, yeah. that was um, you know that was straight up reporters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so true. that came from a different world. Sure. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's nice to see that kind of thing isn't happening anymore as much. But um, but yeah, do we? Are you concerned? about the uh, the level of attention on the news and, and do you see it negatively impacting at all or or is it just in the public interest? Do people want to know absolutely everything that's happening all the time and is it good just to be in this kind of 24-hour quick circle? It's definitely negatively impacting on my brain because <laughs> I have to write about it all the bloody time. So, yeah, this, this, the, this is the problem of the digital reality. I mean, again, you know, I don't know, it, it might be different if it's... Well, it probably isn't, actually, you know, for, certainly not for Rolling Stone. Um... But yeah, it's just absolutely constant. So while I'm here, I mean, I've been getting calls from my boss about Taylor Swift is putting out four new songs, and you know they want some review at midnight, which I really don't want to have to do. But you know, <laughs> so there's so that has definitely changed, and that's the nature of that's the digital reality. But it's balanced with not just the rise of the podcast, you know, which is that totally different approach, but also it's actually quite a boom time. I don't know what it's like in America, but in, in, in England at the moment, it's quite a boom time for music books. There's been a lot of music. So there's a new, so the book that, that I did last year, that came out on a new imprint, which is now doing something like, you know, 12 or 14 books a year, which is really, really good. And across the board as well. And what I've realized is that there's a new, um, whereas before it would have been, you know, it could have been the Beatles or Marvin Gaye or, you know, who, people who are absolutely classic. Now, I mean, there's a book coming out on 90s pop, you know, from the Spice Girls onwards, which is coming nice. out in about a month. But he's take, taken it very, very seriously, like you're saying about K-pop. And it's a great story. You know, so it kind of so yes, there's tabloidism on one point, one side, or you know, the, the basically the constant. If you, if you're in a staff position, well, you know, or, or con contracted position, you're just you're told to do. It, you know, you have to write 500 words on this constantly, but it's balanced by the opportunities to really go deep into subjects which before were very hard to get commissioned. Interesting, Delisa, have you have you how do you feel about this? So when I worked at Genius, it was very much like, it's news, we ought to do it, ah, and it was just do the news and then be done. Um, but I think, you know, I, so I left Genius in 2021, like September 2021, and started Rolling Stone, and then World happened. The tragedy at World yeah. happened. And I remember thinking as I was reporting at Rolling Stone, like, I would never get this opportunity to actually tell a nuanced story, right? To actually try to contact contractors in Houston, to like actually build out my sources, to tell a story. Um, yeah. I mean, we still have like people who are still, you know, monitoring Astroworld and the tragedy and, and, and still looking to see how we can advance that story. And I don't think that's something Love genius, but I don't think that's an opportunity that we would have had because we didn't have the opportunity or the resources to build something that could that could actually tell a story. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, and obviously, like genius and Rolling Stone are, are very different, which is kind of what we're talking about. I feel like to just do the news and to be to be want to be the first to report and want to be the first to get those hits. I I don't think that has a lot of space. Um, anymore in terms of like the stories that I'm interested in telling. I'm interested in taking two and a half weeks to like make sure I'm I'm reporting on something, especially like a tragedy such as that one, um, with care and, and, and with context. Um, that I'm so happy that I got that opportunity and that was just like a night and day shift. Uh, which I'm thankful for. I'm I'm glad I'm stepping more into and I'm currently in a role where we can look and see all the angles that we want to get into um, in ways that we didn't and, and tell deeper stories, more stories, um, and dive, a, yeah, just to dive deeper. I think obviously we're going to have the tabloids where it's like this big thing, like blank says they're retiring from music and we're going to hit it, right? Like yeah. everybody retires every five seconds, like we're, but we're going to talk about it, right? Because it is an interesting conversation to think about their, their legacy in music. But I'm also happy that we get the chance to take a breath, 
you know, step back for a little bit and think of how do we want to tell this story? How do we want to exist? What do we want to say? Um, you said something earlier about the importance of like publications having a voice, and I think publications are finding their voice now and refinding that voice in a way, which I'm very thankful for and to be a part of the the crew that's reshaping it um, and what that means. So it's a little bit of, like you said, it's a little bit of the tabloidism, of course, and you know, everybody wants to know the news. There's so much news. It's like there, there's tabloidism in news, period, right? <laughs> in all in all press, there's yeah. tabloidism. Uh, but then there's also the the times when we can take a really good chunk and like a really good swing at something that people really want to know about. Like, uh, who was it that just did? Like, um, one of our reporters. Cheyenne Roundtree just did the weekend, um, and Sam Levinson, and kind of looked at their uh, their new show with such nuance, with mm. such care. That was an amazing story. Shout outs to Cheyenne, like big time for that. Um, and she is, I, I look at her as such a like just a, like a, a teacher of of how to really do to, to do that thing to like get those scoops and really report. She is a reporter. She is a reporter. Um, and you know that story could have been told so many different ways. It could have just been Sam Levinson said horrible, or you know something, yeah. and that's, that's super quick. Um, but she took the time, so it's a little bit of both. But I'm excited to be a part of the the crew that's really trying to make it as wide and as nuanced and as deep as possible. Wow. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. So, are you feeling questiony? Do you have burning questions? Oh, I think so. I think there's some questions out there. Um, so I've got a question about uh, the current generation of music journalists. Now that a lot of the mythology around being a journalist has been dismantled, you mentioned like Lester Bangs with the craft back in the 70s and the year, I think you said um, people that couldn't get a job anywhere else would you know, go work for the enemy, of which I was one of those people. If you're like 18 or 19 in 2023, what is going to attract you to music journalism, seeing as you maybe don't have that mythology around your identity, and maybe you don't have the power you once had? So what's going on there, and what, what might get you into it? Something that I've kind of loved is the fangirl to music journalist pipeline, where if you're an expert in something, you're an expert in something. And it, it doesn't matter that you... I mean, it's just a different level of care. And so that's something that I personally really love to see. I think that's something that young people uh, see happening and might want to do more of. It's being in these cool spaces and having the opportunity to tell stories with care because you care. Um, so that's one thing. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, that, that's what you're talking about with the podcast. Like, it's a whole bunch of nerds just talking about what they love about. Like, what they yeah, love and about. also you should, you, you know, it's, it's, it's writing. You know, not everyone enjoys writing. If you enjoy writing, and I find writing, I enjoy writing, but I also find it hard. I don't, it's not like it's just easy. You know, that's, that's the bottom line, is that if you enjoy writing, there's just another form of writing, you know. And it's, 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 it's really, for me, it's always about people and what they do and what their motivations are and so on. Um, so, yeah, in a way, that hasn't changed. You know, I think that's, if, if you like music and if you can make a living from it, which is not easy... Um, I think it once was, but those days, you know, we're definitely gone. If you can, you know, if you can pursue it, then it's, it's exciting. Hi, um, my name is Dan Gentile. I'm a, a culture editor at SFGate. So my question is, comes from kind of a editor's perspective. In terms of um, what types of stories you guys have found, like, really resonate with readers in terms of, like, to be crass, traffic numbers, <laughs> um, be it, like, themes or formats or types of storytelling, and then... Maybe if you have like an example of a recent story like that that y'all were also really proud of and really like knocked it out of the park. Good and popular. Should I say it quickly? Um, yeah. So this is this is the interesting thing. I mean, this definitely depends on the publication. But earlier, what was it? A couple of months ago, I did an interview with Iggy Pop. Now Iggy Pop's albums don't sell that much anymore, and it was a struggle to convince anyone to pay for me to go to Miami and do it. The interview was, he was absolutely fantastic. He, he was, I was with him the whole day. Um, so he went deep into his life, deep into everything from his very complex relationship with David Bowie, which wasn't all fantastic, to his childhood, to the whole thing. The, 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 um, the traffic for that was absolutely huge. The album didn't sell, 
So it's like the story was more interesting for people. I guess, you know, it's Iggy Pop's older. You know, those those albums, you know, this classic Stooges now, albums now, you know, people are known, you know, know it. But that, that did so well. And I remember doing an interview with Megan Thee Stallion, who at the time was the biggest star going. It's when she won all the Grammys. What was that two years ago? Absolutely huge. The interview wasn't very good because of the situation. She had no time. And it was, the answers gave no depth. You know, it was the big interview. We got a cover story, Mentally Great, did nothing. Now, that might be down to the, you know, might just be down to the, um, to the readership, but I think it was also down to the, you know, there wasn't that much there in the making the Stallion interview, just because of the situation. With the Iggy interview, it was old school. I spent a whole day with him and got, went, went deep. So there was depth there. You know, so it's not just, I don't think it's just the name of the person. I mean, obviously it is, and I'm probably being, um, you know, fanciful here. But I think, you know, it, it gave me faith that, that it's not just about, you know, the big name, which, of course, every single editor will always push, you know, want you to get. I have a, a favorite story real quick as well. Obviously, it's about BTS. You guys are catching a theme. But I had someone reach out to me and say, I've spent years trying to convince my family why they matter to me. And you were able to put it into words for me, and I sent it to everyone. And I recently wrote a review for one of the members who put out a spectacular solo album uh, called Indigo. And I was so proud of my review. I cried while writing my review. I had people in my comments saying, I cried while reading your review. And then I got an email on Christmas Eve asking for my address because he wanted to send me a thank you note. And I was like, well, I made it. I'm retiring. See y'all. Um, <laughs> gotta go. So there's so much there's so much joy to be found in that. Uh, Frey, this might have to be our last question. Uh, so yeah, please go ahead. Hi, I'm Olivia Fries. I am the, like, 19-year-old that you were talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started like my own blog uh, when I was like a junior in high school. I'm like a freshman in college now at Syracuse. And I guess I was just kind of wondering what kind of... Also, Will, I saw you speak with New Order, and I love New Order. I love, New, uh, I love Joy Division, so that was like a really cool moment for me. Just wanted to say that. Um, but I was just kind of wondering what kind of advice you have, I guess, for people that are starting out and kind of like reaching out to artists and... Uh, going about reaching out to managers and talking to them and kind of all the different ways that I can kind of work myself into this industry? Uh, well, very quickly, you should uh, find out who their PRs are. You know, that's that's the first first thing to do. Um, uh, and just, I think the best thing to do is to pursue things. It's like, you know, I, I remember hearing really, really good advice. This is for, for bands. And the advice was, don't try and be the biggest star in the world. Be the biggest star in your family be the big star in your town be the big you know just just build it up like that think about the immediate so i think the best advice is is you know starting out it's very difficult to get interviews with you know very big names but there's no reason why you can discover a great ba local band or whatever and contact them if they've got a pr contact for the pr they'd be probably very grateful for the coverage and just get going with something, you know. Just you, of course, there's you know, there's blogs and things and fanzines, you know. I think it's good to just generate it yourself initially, and then, you know, that then you can start moving, you know, moving it, moving it out into the world. Yeah, I actually spoke with some students from UCLA like last week, and there was. Um, someone who was with us, and they were really stressed because they were trying. They're like super into punk music, they're a Latin person, and they don't feel like they have anybody who's like listening to them. And they were kind of asking something similar, they were feeling ready to give up, and I was like, you already have all of the elements at your disposal. You know what you love, and you know what you're excited about. Do that and do it hard. Like if you, if there's like a small subsection somewhere in Syracuse, I don't know what kind of music that you're into, um, somewhere in New York, go to those shows and loiter and just like see who you can talk to and see who you can chat with. Um, that's one gonna build your muscle as a writer and it's gonna really inform what you love. But it's also like, they're gonna start to know you. They're gonna start to, they're gonna see your face at every show and be like, uh, there they are. All right, all right. I know that they're gonna come up to me and try to get an email, but that's a good thing. You want them to know you. Um, you want to get, like you said, you want to be known in your area. Um, so I say just like hit it really hard. Go to as many shows as you can. Um, 
follow people on Instagram, obviously. I love a DM. I love a cold DM. I don't care. Um, and so many great things have come from a DM. I remember I, when I was at Genius, I like uh, really wanted to find my way into Frank Ocean. And I was like, I know I can do it. I just know I can. And I just I DM'd all of his producers. And one sent me back like a T emoji. And I was like, you have something that you want to tell me, don't you? They haven't responded um, from that point, and that was in 2021. But now that I'm in that inbox, I can go back when the time is right. You know what I mean? So find those opportunities to um, to get to get in with these people, even if it's small, even if it's just like a handshake. It does start to pay off. Get known in your town, and then get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but you have you literally have all the tools. You have all the sauce. Like just just start cooking practice, 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 and write, 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 and find your voice. Because at least when I started, I don't know about you guys, but when I started out, I was just emulating writers who I loved. I was just trying to be like a Nashville Hunter Harris, and it wasn't until I found out what I actually wanted to say that I felt like I hit my stride. So just practice and hone your voice as much as you can. Thank you. I can't wait to read what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone. Well, you know, rise, fall, rise again. Some happy times. Thank you for being with us and enjoying the panel. Thanks to the panelists so much. Really appreciate you guys. Yeah.